When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, from a very dismal city of Toronto, Ontario. As this entire city just watched the Toronto Raptors totally blow it in Game Five, they had their chance to end this series, and now they are staring down the barrel way. Two games left. I think the Warriors can totally do this in two games. What do you think? Give me your your expert analysis to my amateur version. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, two games is not really a whole lot. So it's, I mean, I I, I don't know if they blew it per se. You know, I thought I thought it was a pretty that final thirty. Game. Listen, I I contrary to what many people may believe. I have watched my fair share of basketball. I'm not like a current uh, giant follower of it. But that that final stretch in those final 30 seconds, I mean, first of all, Kawhi Leonard is having this insane fourth quarter, and he's got the ball. I was like, all right, this is it. He's going to get the winning shot, and then he passes it off, and then Lowry, like, shot it into, like, the 300 level at the buzzer. I was like, well, why why did we give it to, to Lowry here at the end? There's no guarantee Kawhi would have made that shot. Yeah, yes, there was. There was no. absolutely a guarantee he was making that shot. That guy wasn't missing shit in the fourth quarter. Mm, I don't know about that. I think 1,000% he makes that shot. Dude, did you see that three he made with like four minutes left? This dude could not miss in this quarter. I don't think that means anything. But I think it means everything. You know That's what, John? Hand. I, I, please watch the next game. I'd love your expert analysis throughout the whole thing. Why don't you even just predict it and call the sh- call the plays, call call all that stuff? I, listen, I have no emotional investment in any of this. My my emotional investment is that I I had a great tweet and I was all ready for the Raptors to win, and they 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 blew my tweet. So that's that's that was my only disappointment here. They win, they lose. It'll be nice, but hey, I think tonight they had their chance. They had their their. Their foot on the throat of the Golden State Warriors, and boom, they lose by a point. I think this was this was their opportunity. It's going to be very difficult to win in Golden State on Thursday, and Game Seven, whew, it's going to be tough. The expert, everybody, expert analysis from John. You're Pollard. being very sarcastic. I'm not trying to be the expert here. I'm not being sarcastic at all. No, it, it'll be very tough for this team to lose three in a row, but. We'll see how this game looks in hindsight. Maybe they'll win it on Thursday. What's your prediction? What's your official prediction? I don't fucking know, man. Oh, come on. It's just a guess. It's not based on anything. What do you feel? Why does it matter? Because I'm curious what what you're thinking. You have no opinion? About when they might win it? Between two games? What's going to... No, no, no. What's going to happen in the series? Who do you feel is, is going to have the momentum here? I'll... I'll watch and I'll see who wins, dude. I don't fucking know, man. Why? Why? What? Why do you want? Why do you need to know this so badly? I'm I'm sorry. I didn't understand that was uh, such a personal question. Let's move on. Uh, let's not get upset at one another. Three minutes into this show, uh, what's go- what else is going on? What what subjects are we allowed to talk about? A bunch of wrestling news and a episode of Raw. How about that? Well, uh, let us start off then. With 
what is going on in the wrestling industry. Are you surprised that Fighter Fest is going to be airing live on BR Live and they're offering this thing for free? I was very surprised by this. Not really. I actually expected it because of the CEO show being free last year. Um, you know, I guess if it was up to AEW putting the show on their, their own, would they air this paid? I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what Kenny's deal is with CEO co-producing a show like this. So, um, you know, the fact that last year's was free, I actually expected this one to be free as well. Yeah, I found it interesting. I think that there's certainly a lot of demand for this show that I think they, they could have gotten away charging for this. Maybe not quite uh, what we're talking about, double or nothing pricing. Uh, but I think this is a show that people would be willing to pay for, especially given the fact that Double or Nothing seems to have done so many more buys than people anticipated going into it. But it seems this coupled with uh, uh, they put out the seating chart for All Out because tickets are going on sale this Friday. And even though you know demand's going to be through the roof for that show, it's not like they've jumped their price points. It's I think it's $36 and tops out at... 190 for tickets it's you know it's i think playing uh very much a a long-term strategy that they're not going to gouge their market base their their fan base and also i think feeling that it's also great uh promotion for them to have these these quick sellouts even though i think they could still raise these prices and still have have both and have that immediate sellout but it's an interesting strategy yeah, and I think banking on a sellout, you know, choosing an arena that um, obviously they can more than fill uh, at, the, at the Sears Center and also keeping the ticket prices the same, I think it works really well from a PR standpoint. I think having the ability to, to brag about another immediate sellout is great momentum heading into their TV deal and will probably is worth generating the buzz for rather than, you know, maybe a bit of an increase in gate. What are you thinking is uh, going to happen on Friday? Are you expecting the exact same response as All In and Double or Nothing had for uh, for this event at the Sears Center? Because that's what I'm expecting. Well, this I am comfortable giving a prediction about. And yes, I agree. I think uh, it'll be very much like all the others. Um, maybe even faster for this one. But um, I would at least expect a, a very similar turnout to Double or Nothing. Yeah, it seems that the the buzz for this product is that much hotter coming out of uh, double or nothing. So that's going to be a big day on Friday, seeing how uh, tickets go on sale. And yeah, I think demand is as high, if not higher than the previous two shows for this one coming up. Uh, Speaking of fighter fest, they did add a match today. It's going to be a four way match involving jungle boy with Jimmy havoc, MJF and hangman page. And this all came about as a result of a, of a bad phone line. Yes. I think it would have been more authentic if they if they did this on Skype as opposed to the phone line cutting in and out. I think Skype that's a very much um trust me, much more believable that you could uh have such technical problems. Yeah, or hangouts. Other one. <laughs> that could have been it. They, they could, should have shot it been. from your basement, really. Yes. <laughs> they should have. The lights could have flickered and all of a sudden um their their phone gets disconnected. That would have been the the better way to go. Uh, New Japan, let's uh, chat about a little bit of uh, news here, and then we'll get to our our weekly giveaway and what's coming up on the site. Uh, The Super J-Cup is coming back this August, and they're going to be doing three shows all in the United States, 
and they have announced that Jushin Thunder Liger is going to be the producer of said tournament. They haven't officially announced that he is in the tournament, but I think that would only make all the sense in the world that he would be participating in this thing. So the first night uh, will be Thursday, August 22nd, the Temple Theater in Tacoma, Washington. So you have two months to uh, recover from stomping grounds, and then New Japan will be coming to town. Saturday, August 24th, will be at the San Francisco State University Student Life Event Center. That is a mouthful for a venue. And then the finals will take place Sunday, August 25th at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach, California. And traditionally, the Super J Cup, it expands beyond just uh, one promotion. It's going to be probably junior heavyweights from all their partner promotions. Maybe we'll see some others um, stateside uh, that will get into this tournament and yeah, do you do you like the idea of taking this out of Japan and doing these as U.S. shows as opposed to kind of the smaller shows New Japan did earlier this year that had all those visa issues, but doing something kind of in between a big New Japan show and those kind of stripped down shows that they were forced to present earlier this year? I think it's a great idea. You know, um, it seems like this is it, it. This isn't going to be a series of events that'll really tax the you know uh, uh, core talent of New Japan, which I think. It can be an issue when you're talking about, you know, tra- a, a, a great deal of travel. And, uh, you know, I, I, I specifically enjoy that Liger is attached to this and that he is specifically bringing the Super J Cup brand to America. Because, you know, just speaking for myself, and I, I would say a great deal of North American wrestling fans, international wrestling fans, a lot of our first exposure to Japanese wrestling was through those Super J Cup tapes. And I think it still holds a great deal of recognition for this audience, especially with Liger attached to it. So I, I think it's really smart. And I'm very curious to see what promotions that uh, Liger will be recruiting talent from. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping for his sake that they they don't throw Will Ospreay into this because, man, this guy's doing the best of Super Juniors. He's doing the G1 and this guy needs a break, I think. And this would be an ideal week to give him off. Well, I mean, knowing his schedule, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him in. He is kind of over some of the advertising uh, I've seen atta- uh, uh, for the Super J Cup. He, he is also probably going to still be the champion by that point. Oh, so I imagine he'll have some involvement, but uh, I agree with you. I think a break it, it would be good for that guy. It's, it's one of the things we were talking about on our review on Sunday night that you know, it's very much kind of blurring the lines now between junior heavyweights and heavyweights. And, you know, we're seeing in the, in this year's instance with with uh, Shingo and with Will Ospreay, like that is a big ask of your performers to go from one tournament essentially to the next uh, within the span of just a couple of weeks. And that is a really hard three months that you're asking of these guys to go through. Yeah, especially the style of wrestling that I think is, is going to be expected of all these men in the G1. Um, and I can see... It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about guys like Osprey and Shingo who have main evented a number of shows during the Best of the Super Juniors and probably main event a number of shows in the G1 as well. So incredibly demanding. But, oh, God. Um, I I hope their bodies hold up and I hope they get plenty of rest. Yeah. Well, you know, so, some guys... Went out on Dominion, at least, like uh, Kota Bushi, and, and took it easy, at least, as you're getting ready for such an arduous 19-show uh, uh, tour coming up in the summer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the G1, uh, they're going to be announcing the blocks and the participants 
at this Sunday show, uh, which is going to be uh, on this upcoming Kazuna Road Tour. Three of them will be airing on New Japan World, starting with uh, this Sunday and next Monday show, which are both at uh, Korakuen Hall. So the first night, which is headlined by Rapongi 3K against El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori for the junior heavyweight tag titles. That will feature the block and participant announcements. The next night, they will be announcing all of the key matches for the G1. And I would imagine right after that, you'll get all of the match announcements for the entire tour. Um, and then this Kazuna Road Tour, it wraps up June 25th in Sendai with two uh, Rev Pro title matches that are going to be headlining it. Uh, June 25th is the date to circle on your calendar way because that is the day you are getting Zack Sabre Jr. and Yoshihashi for the British heavyweight title, along with El Fantasmo defending the British cruiserweight title against Ryusuke Taguchi. So they're not doing these in England. They're going to do them in Japan. Maybe you'll see Yoshihashi winning so he can represent England properly. Yeah. By the time he yeah. goes there. Oh, he could, instead of having that, that, uh, that stick of his, maybe it could be like a royal scepter, and he could really just adopt like all the British stereotypes uh, to his new uh, character. That'd be awesome. That would be wonderful. Um, and then as well, the Will Osprey Robbie Eagles uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Match that will happen June 29th in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Which that show will be headlined by Tanahashi and Okada against Jay White and Bad Luck Fale, and then they're in Sydney on June 30th. So it's a it's a busy month before they go into the G1 with the Kazuna Road shows and then going to Australia and then to Dallas they have to fly and then come back for the remaining 18 shows of the G1. I think this year more than any, like the bar is raised every year for what the expectations are. You're throwing in uh, like this, this tour that you're going all the way across the world for a show in Dallas. I think come September, this roster is just going to be absolutely spent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, such as the demanding schedule of a New Japan Pro Wrestling. I, I, I do appreciate the fact that I think we're seeing a lot of new talent, not just in, in, in the junior division, but in the heavyweight division as well. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, a year in, it feels like it's it's a somewhat of a reinvigorated New Japan. And I feel like the company is is pretty hot right now. I think that there's a lot of buzz going into this G1 with the new names that are going to be in this year. And just, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, whatever... Um, kind of hole that there were like compare. It's not maybe a fair comparison, but maybe it is. But look at the fact that New Japan and Ring of Honor were in spots where they lost a lot of this talent to AEW, and where both are now. It seemed that at the beginning of this year, there seemed to be optimism with ROH that they had this MSG show. You made some interesting signings, um, but you look at New Japan, and it's six months into the year. I don't think they really missed a beat this year, but now it feels like you have all these new names that are all feel fresh, which is very important, and all these new matchups and a series of new stars that could be coming out of this. Like New Japan feels really hot going into the G1 this year. I feel like the best of the Super Juniors was like, you know, unexpectedly, I think something that that did really well, not just, you know, for fans of, of junior heavyweight wrestling, but like just... Yeah, wrestling fans in general. And I think what's what they should really be commended for is their ability to create new stars and people that feel like that there's, you know, a fresh and uh, sense of attention put on them. Talking about guys like El Fantasmo, guys like Shingo Takagi, guys like Will Ospreay. And, you know, coming out of the G1, I'm sure you'll see plenty more names that are going to kind of get into the spotlight. So they've been doing a great job. And final thing here on the Newsway. Thumbs up, thumbs down on the Super Smash Brothers now going as Dark Order. 
Oh, so much of it, I think, depends on how they'll be treated on TV. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really follow so too much of the Super Smash Brothers originally, but like the name seems to suggest to me that they were more, more kind of like basing their identities on, I don't know, fun video game type of stuff rather than going full on into like the horror Undertaker type of realm, which they seem to be doing with this new incarnation. I. I'm not as big of a fan of that, I would say. But again, remains to be seen. I thought the the little video they shot looked really cool, though, on BTE this week. All right. Well, all of your news you can go find at postwrestling.com. And we can go ahead and preview what is coming up this week on the site because it is quite a bit that we have. Tuesday night, Way and I will be back with Rewind to SmackDown. On Wednesday, we've got the British Wrestling Experience with the, the triangle being... Uh, in its entirety, Martin Bushby, Benno, and Jamesy back together on Wednesday. Uh, then we've got the double shot on Wednesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, do you have any idea yet, Way, what you may be discussing on Wednesday? Not really. It's a bit of a lighter week, I feel, in comparison, but uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll find something. Thursday, we've got Up Next with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, and the rumor is that they have quite a big announcement to make on Thursday. Uh, do you have Do you have any any intel way into this big announcement um they're good uh i don't know uh i do i know exactly what it is but uh, you'll have to find out you've been embargoed yeah spoiler alert uh so tune into that Braden and davy always exciting whenever they get together and talk about the world um thursday as well me and Way will be live at 3 Eastern with the Cafe Hangout. We're going to be joined by Damian Abraham talking about the Deathmatch episode of The Wrestlers this week, which is, uh, I think, should have been named uh, Meet June Kasai's Mother. That should have been the title of that episode. That would be great. They should name the whole series, you know, Meet These Wrestlers' Moms. That That's actually a great idea. Uh, plus, we will be joined by Ontario independent uh, wrestler, manager, and promoter, Anthony Kingdom James, who is bringing back his promotion, the Union of Independent Professional Wrestlers. Uh, he's going to be running SummerSlam week, uh, so we will talk with him about that. The uh, uh, Coming back to promote independent wrestling. Uh, what What is in store for those that show up uh, SummerSlam week for his show? So tune into that 3 p.m. Eastern time for Double Double Plus patrons, and we'll be taking your calls as well on the show this Thursday. Friday, we've got Rewind Away with a review of Backlash 2004 from Edmonton, Alberta. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, and everyone is going to get to listen to the uh, the music of Edgewater. Oh, thanks. Great. Edgewater. Eyes wired shut. Yeah. Sounds like a, a song that Edgewater would write. Yes, I, I actually, as I was watching this show over the weekend, uh, was reading about Edgewater. Had you ever heard of this group before, or is your knowledge of them strictly related to A, this show, or B, the Punisher album? I don't even recall the name of this group uh, the first time I watched this show, so I, I just heard about them now, basically. Okay, well, tune in on Friday to learn about Edgewater. And then we go into the weekend. We'll have two new episodes of Cruel Summer, which is WH Park's new series reviewing past G1 finals. Uh, Saturday morning, he'll be with Martin Bushby to chat about the 1995 final. And then Sunday morning with Striga, the man, one of the men behind Cage Match uh, and the Eastern Lariat podcast chatting about the 1996 final featuring Ricky Choshu, which was really, I thought, one of the high points of 
the first, I would say, 10 years of the G1. Brian Mann is going to be joining Nate Milton on Saturday with the Rocky Maivia Picture Show reviewing Southland Tales. And then Sunday night, the weekends with myself and WH Park with our monthly chat on post Pure Wrestling. So that is your schedule at Post Wrestling coming up this week. Sounds great. All right. Are we ready for a giveaway? Let's do it. All right. This is the part of the show where all the members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, their names are drawn at random. One winner, and they will be walking away with what way? Post Wrestling Combo Pack, t-shirt, stickers, coffee sleeve, postcard, all yours. You notice this week there was no coffee reference to Alexa Bliss, so I don't want to. I don't want to insinuate that the post wrestling legal team got up in arms over this, but I also don't want to insinuate that we didn't. Yeah, do you like that? Okay, let's uh, roll and let's pick our winner this week. The winner of the post wrestling prize pack is. Now? Uh, now. All right. Congratulations to Bruce Simons. Bruce Simons from Louisiana. Congratulations. Wow. All right. Congratulations. Bruce Simons. I yeah. don't think we messed up that name. I don't think so. If I did, I apologize. It's Louisiana. It could be French. It could be uh, Bruce Simons. You're right. So let's let's hope. We, we covered our bases. We announced both. Uh, so congratulations, Bruce. You are the winner of the Post Wrestling Prize Pack. And if you are a cafe subscriber, better luck next week. Maybe you will be the, the grand prize winner. All right. Uh, with that said, I do want to quickly make mention for those that maybe missed our announcement last week. Way and I are doing a live show in Toronto on Sunday, August the 11th at 1 p.m., at the John Candy Box Theater inside of Second City, downtown Toronto, which is uh, very close by to the Scotiabank Arena, where SummerSlam will be taking place later that night. Uh, tickets went on sale last week. Uh, we were told by the venue that ticket sales got off to an excellent start. That is their quote, not mine. So uh, there are still tickets remaining. So you can go to postwrestling.com forward slash live uh, to pick up your tickets. Let's break these records. Let's... Uh, what is the record for the John can whatever it's not going to be hard to sell this thing out is what I'm <laughs> basically so limited time only and uh, we are planning something else as well over SummerSlam weekend so uh, stay tuned we may have an announcement uh, to make in the very near future about post wrestling's SummerSlam weekend it's going to be exciting stuff I promise all right let us move into raw from Monday night from San Jose, California. Yeah, the Golden State. The Golden State. So I think we had a lot in common here with the the people who were in attendance. I mean, you and I were two of, I would say, the only Canadians watching Raw on Monday night. And these were some of the only people that were probably not watching the Golden State Warriors game in the Bay Area. Perhaps. So I felt like kindred spirits here with uh, these folks. Here at the SAP Center, and Seth Rollins came out at the start of the show, recapped the Baron Corbin match from Friday, and Rollins said that he feels alive tonight. He's entered a new era, he said, with the Universal title. He says no one can out-wrestle him, no one can out-fight him, and if you want to, you can try things the hard way. But you can ask Brock Lesnar how that ended. 
And Lesnar has been in WWE since 2002, minus a 10-year gap. And no one has ever done what he did to Lesnar on Friday. He left him in a heap, and then it began the procession of interruptions. Baron Corbin came out, got booed, and said that Rollins should be worried about him and not Lesnar. And they're going to have a rematch at Stomping Grounds, with Corbin putting all the blame on referee John Cohn for his loss on Friday. And he has been allowed to pick the special guest referee at Stomping Grounds. And Rollins uh, asked, how, how was that approved? That makes absolutely no logical sense, Baron. And Baron said, well, that's what's happening. And Rollins mentions, you don't have any friends, so who are you going to pick? And out came Sami Zayn. And Zayn got into this. He said that Rollins is in a vicious cycle with Brock Lesnar and says it's a display of toxic masculinity and thinks it would be better if Baron Corbin was champion. And he insinuates that Corbin will repay the favor if he ends up winning. And you're led to believe that Sami Zayn is the referee for this match, but that was not not actually the case here, although that's what you were left to believe at the end of this show. And then the wild card uh, came into full effect as Kevin Owens came out to back up Sami Zayn. They were called morons by Rollins. It led to a challenge. Owens even poked fun at the wild card, saying that, what does that even mean anyway, being the wild card? And... We got a match for later tonight, a main event between Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I'm going to have two people assist Baron Corbin, I much prefer Owens and Zayn to Drew and Bobby Lashley. I felt like Owens and Zayn, I'm, in a way, I'm really glad they're keeping the two of them together as long as we, we've seen them. I feel like they're just fantastic with each other still. Uh, and I found them both incredibly entertaining on this show. Everything else is just pretty typical raw opening stuff. Yeah. Um, we then confirmed that Becky Lynch would take on Lacey Evans at Stomping Grounds, which everyone expected. But we also got Michael Cole, the first of many times that he had to include the slogan. This is not just Stomping Grounds we are watching later this month, Way It is Stomping Grounds. It's time to kick ass and take names. Man, because the logo for stomping grounds is literally someone's boot that is getting ready to kick ass and then grab a pen and paper and take their name down. Yeah, yeah, they had to mention this line so much. <laughs> uh, it, it's it it can be nothing but a Vince direction. Um, and I mean, only makes sense that a seventy something year old man would find that term hip. In 2019, or go like some something worth drilling into our minds about. Like, does, does he think we we're not going to know the name of this pay per view unless you add taking at what taking names and kicking ass, whatever it is? That would be better. Take it, <laughs> kicking names and taking taking actually, ass. That was an Avengers joke. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. sorry. No, no, right no. Over my head. Um. It was most painful when Reigns had to use this line himself in the interview. Like, I can take Michael Cole being the shill, but Reigns, it was just uh, cringy at this point because we had heard it. It was so clearly a directive that it's the slogan uh, that Reigns had to just seamlessly uh, work into his interview with Byron. Why? Why did they make their? Why did they make anybody do it? I, I don't really understand. But I'll have to say, you know, I, I thought Reigns did did his best trying to make it sound somewhat cool. Uh, whether or not it was successful, I mean, you be the judge, but I, I feel like he, I'm sure he's not a fan of having to say that either. 
I love this logo, though. It's just literally a person's foot, a boot with the word stomping grounds because someone is stomping on the ground. It's like, dude, it is a logo I'm pretty sure I could almost come up with. Yeah. Lars Sullivan versus the Lucha House Party was our first match. Uh, the rematch everyone was clamoring for after Friday's uh, bizarre exhibition. Uh, with the added elimination stipulation. So this time out, though, Lars just killed these guys. He caught Kalisto off the top with the freak accident and pinned him in 24 seconds. Then he murdered Lince Dorado with a running power bomb, And then it was left to Grand Metalik. And he had him beat, but kept lifting him up when he went for the cover. And... Hit him with a freak accident, lifted him up again. Then he decided that he was going to dump Kalisto with a military press onto the steps and lawn darted Lince into the post and he just fell down like a heap. And then he went back into the ring and hit the diving headbutt onto Grand Metalik, which we have not seen him do that maneuver since uh, right when he was introduced and pinned Metalik in 307. This was everything that. Super Showdown should have been. I, I don't know why they went that direction other than to prolong it, but this was how Lars should have been booked from the get-go. I would assume that this was originally going to be the exact match that we were probably going to see at, at Super Showdown. Otherwise, I just don't see the point in booking that this match for Super Showdown at all. Um, and in the end, it just kind of made su- the Super Showdown match really feel like a raw segment, which I guess is what they wanted, you know, I guess maybe they felt like it meant nothing on super showdown. Meanwhile, you would have had a bigger audience see it on raw, whatever. I thought the handling of it may be a little bit sloppy, but you know, the squash was great. It's everything it needed to be. I thought that pinata spot looked awesome when they, when he uh, flipped, um, was it Lince Kalisto or Lince? Lince was, uh, yeah, he was sent into the post. The pinata thing on the on this um on the stairs. Uh oh, that was Kalisto. Yeah, yeah. So he looked great, Lars. Yeah, I would have just had him win on Friday and then come back and do the elimination stipulation on on Monday. I just would have beaten them twice. I don't know. I I didn't understand that on Friday. Our truth and Carmella are busy running around backstage from everyone, and he gets surrounded by the elevator. And they're waiting for it to open. And then a bunch of them get into the elevator. And then they get stuck on the elevator. And it's R-Truth with Carmella, EC3, Drake Maverick, and Cedric Alexander, who I think was missing 205 Live even more this week. Um, and we we kind of got EC3 as like a casual alcoholic. That, to me, was his character progression on this show. Yeah, I guess he had introduced it on um, at the barbecue last week. Yeah. I guess so. So there you go. There's there's some layers now to him. There's this thing that, that's been floating around online today of just a comparison between EC3 doing an NXT entrance and then a recent entrance on a main event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, wow, look how kind of bored this guy looks. But then uh, one of our, uh, I think it was John Cena, pointed out that this was probably perhaps him doing this new character, this kind of like, you know, Orange Cassidy type. I'm 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 kind of drunk. I don't really care about any of this type of character so we'll see where that goes i mean any character is an improvement for him he got the most screen time today than i think he ever had on raw <laughs> what, what an accomplishment on on monday night for for ec3 but yeah this was literally like the most he's done on raw uh since he was called up and we just we just randomly had a shot backstage of seth and becky talking to each other just so michael cole could remind us that 
That is Becky Lynch's boyfriend, Seth Rollins. Yeah. That was it. That was it. It was just, hey, they're dating if you forgot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I do feel like they are going to obviously introduce mixed tags at some point while both are still champions. Again, it's just like too good of a of a thing not to take advantage of to exploit on your television, really. So perhaps they're sowing the seeds for it here by doing things like this. It has kind of surprised me how quickly they've taken that relationship public and then taking it into a storyline as well. Like, I thought it took Cena and Nikki probably years, but these two are, are at, an, at an accelerated rate. Uh, they interviewed Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans with a split screen, and Becky brought up tapping her out at Money in the Bank. Evans says that she is not going to stop until get, she gets what she wants, and it was Becky just going through all her one-liners here, saying that dirt and gold are found in the same place. That doesn't make them equal. And Lacey coming back saying that Becky's bravado is a mask and she's driven by fear of losing it all and falling back to obscurity. And that fear will come true at stomping grounds when Becky becomes Becky, no belts. And they're going to be in a tag match later. And uh, what do you think of the, the interview segment here? I, I like face to faces uh, for the most part. I just felt like this was so scripted, especially coming from Lacey, that I it, it was really hard for me to get into. Um, I think Becky was really trying to make it sound as natural as you can make a lot of these lines come across, but it's just it's so hard in this environment to yeah. even if you have a good delivery, like even good delivery can be tough at times. And Lacey, I would co-sign what you just said. At no point did I really feel like there was real hatred. I just more felt like it was two people, two amateur actors trying to play out a scene that was written in a script. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross were in the locker room, and Cross thought that they would be teaming up tonight. And Alexa said, well, all of that changed when I went on SmackDown last week. And then she just starts burying Bailey as being this master manipulator because she's seen the real Bailey who was awful to her in NXT because of their different back backgrounds. And Alexa is just totally manipulating Nikki Cross to brainwash her, to have this negative opinion of Bailey so that she can have Nikki Cross in her corner tonight with animosity towards Bailey. And she also said that she is not the, uh, she is not the lovable hugger that everyone thinks she is. And the funniest line was when they cut away and Renee asked, did Alexa just call her a hooker? And Graves corrected her and said, a hugger. And it was the best. It was such a natural reaction from Renee. And I thought it was like, what a breath of fresh air at times on this show for just like a natural, um, just mishearing what was said. It was really funny. That would be quite the character shift for Bailey. I mean, if they wanted to take that character into a, a more adult edgy direction, that would be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bailey buddies would have a different meaning to them. Oh, my. I, um, I, I find this fascinating, you know, what they're trying to do here with Nikki and Alexa. I think I like these two together a yeah. lot. I think they work off each other very, very well. It, you know, the expected thing, of course, is is that Alexa is going to turn on, on Nikki. But, you know, as we've seen with their Miz and, and Shay McMahon feud, I think uh, oftentimes that, 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 you know, when something feels so obvious, they'll... The, it'll deliberately mislead you to something else. So I look forward to seeing what type of twist they add to this to this story. Yes. 
Just give us some time before they break them up. That's all I ask. Miz TV with Samoa Joe. Joe is out, and Miz says that Joe won back the title, but he corrects Miz and says he is not the new champion. Ray stole his title, and he was afforded an opportunity to win it back. Um, so they recap what Joe did to Ray last week, and Miz defends Ray and brings up how Joe applied the Cochina clutch. <laughs> I, think this- I would say if if it was the other if it was like one of the if this was Stephanie or Triple H out there they would have ridden Miz to death here and Joe let it slide but so many people would have jumped on such a obvious mistake here. It's not even the way it's spelled. Like isn't it spelled C C O Q U I N A? Yes. Yeah. So where did he get? What is Cochina? What is that? What does that mean? Um, maybe he was thinking about Coachella this year. I, I don't know. And he just <laughs> okay. screwed up. I don't know. The word Kachina in Spanish means filthy. So your filthy clutch. Your filthy, filthy clutch. clutch. Actually, that, that should be Tom Lawler's finish. Wow. The Kachina. You've come up with a number of great names for Tom Lawler. Moves. Oh, what was it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That That should be his new finish. He mentions Miz crossing the line when he brought up Ray's family. And Joe says... Those lines belong to you. And when I want something, there is no such thing as too far. And maybe I should start talking about your family. And Miz stands up to him. When Braun Strowman interrupts to remind Joe that they had a feud going a while ago that was just dropped abruptly. And we're followed by Bobby Lashley, who announces he is not done with Braun Strowman, even though everyone else was after Friday. And he mentions a history with Samoa Joe Please don't quiz me on that history, unless he was referring to TNA here. Have they had a WWE history together? Maybe they have. Man, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I didn't give it too much thought. And Lashley wants the next United States title shot, which makes no sense. And then Ricochet comes out. He says, I'm not stronger or bigger than you guys, but after my wins over Cesaro, I want to go for my first United States title. This was the most sound, logical argument that any of the bunch really had here. Uh, I've won some matches. I would feel I am in line for a title shot. And then Cesaro came out and just nailed Ricochet and everyone starts fighting and the baby faces clear the ring and Michael Cole proclaims, what a moment. Strowman, Miz and Ricochet standing tall as we go to break a huge moment in Raw's history as they stood tall. Well, it's the first time ever. I assume you had this collection of specific talent in the ring at the at the very same time. So I guess in that sense, he might be right. It was literally a moment. Yes, I do like how Cesaro just came out, didn't say a word, and just decked Ricochet. <laughs> I think it was probably the best promo of his career. I then I think it's <laughs> it's the exact type of character I want to see from Cesaro, just a guy who doesn't talk a whole lot and just beats the shit out of people. So that sent us naturally into a six-man tag. Uh, amazing how the numbers worked out here. And Braun at the beginning, he did a kip up. He did a he did a forward roll. This was a very uh, athletic Braun Strowman showcasing for everybody. He's slimmed down a great deal. So maybe he's just showing off some of that CrossFit or whatever he's been doing. Ricochet came in, hit a Fosbury flop to Cesaro on the floor to get the audience going. After the break, Ricochet is getting beaten down. Eventually, Miz got the tag and got this 
enormous comeback. He like takes out all three of these guys. Then he hit the uh, the shit kicks to Lashley and Cesaro before getting hit with a flatliner. Hot tag is eventually made to Braun, who tries to power slam Joe, who escapes to the floor and runs away with his title and leaves his partners. Lashley then speared Braun on the floor. Miz sends Ricochet off the apron to Lashley on the floor and barely connected with Lashley on this um, on this dive. And then the neutralizer gets blocked. Miz hits a skull-crushing finale to Cesaro, and then Ricochet hit the 630, landing on Cesaro's knee and pinned Cesaro at the end of this. And I did ask after, and apparently Cesaro, he was, he was fine from this. Man, I hope so. It looked rough, and they even, you know, uh, made a great uh, mention of it on, on commentary, and they even uh, showed the replay where he might have hyperextended that leg. So for his sake, I hope everything is okay. It would certainly suck for Cesaro to be out right now as they're attempting to give an, another solo run. I like the match a lot. I thought, you know, Ricochet certainly impressed with a lot of incredible offense. Cesaro had one of his biggest swings ever on in this particular match. I am always amazed, though. Like, in certain crowds, the Miz gets as big of a reaction as he does. Like, you see Ricochet, you see Cesaro do these amazing things. And then the Miz comes in with, like, the most basic of, like, wrestling offense. And in this match, he was able to, to elicit one of the bigger reactions. So, good for him. The Joe running away with the belt, I thought it was hilarious. The fact that, like, you know, this guy comes out sounding all tough. He's bit, he's threatening people's children. But then the moment somebody bigger than him is able to withstand his offense, he just decides to flee. Um, I I don't hate it at all. I actually think it's hilarious. And I think it it's yeah, it, it gives some fuel to that feud between Joe and Braun. Do you see a multi-person program for the U.S. title or is it going to be Joe and Strowman? Because that kind of seemed to be the issue they were teasing the most. Although I could see something where all these guys just get the, thrown into some kind of match at stomping grounds. I really wouldn't hate that, uh, but it seems to me like the more personal rivalry here will be between Joe and Braun, um, and I guess Cesaro and Ricochet will just continue. <laughs> the the best Forever. of infinity. Yeah, um, yeah I, could, I could see them going different directions with, with these six, kind of all going after the U.S. title, potentially. Maybe a, a, a stomping match. Stomping match? Okay, so where you can only do stomps? Yeah, you've got a stomp. Uh, it's an elimination uh, after a series of stomps. Do you, you think- stomp until they can't get up any longer? Right. Did do you think they might have named this pay per view for Seth Rollins? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how much thought went into stomping grounds as a yeah. name. Um. But it is an it is a name. Maybe maybe a kicking ass and taking names match. So everyone starts with a name tag. And then you beat them so badly, and then you take their name tag off, and you put it into your your bucket. And whoever has the most names at the end is the winner. That that would be amazing. <laughs> book it. it. When you ask Anthony Kingdom James, maybe you can ask him to book one of those matches. Yeah, that, that should be on the next Orange Cassidy show. I, yeah. th- I think he, they would actually do that. Um, Corbin tells Charlie he has not chosen a referee yet, but he wants someone who is good at their job, and thus that eliminates Charlie. And then Zane pulled Corbin aside to chat, and that is how we left things. Becky Lynch and Bailey against Lacey Evans and Alexa Bliss. Michael Cole brings up that Alexa beat Bailey here in her hometown a few years ago. Graves responded, How could I forget? 
He says, that was one of my favorite matches ever. <laughs> this match was uh, the death knell for Bailey two years ago. But to her credit, she has, uh, I think, rehabbed significantly uh, from the Sasha Banks run this year to uh, post-WrestleMania. Well, whatever she built up, I think they were going to do their best <laughs> to try to extinguish in this particular Let- match. I'm sure everyone thinks I'm going to fly off the handle. The second everyone made their introductions here, I, I knew 100% Bailey was the one taking the fall. So I wasn't even, I, I was like, of course she's going to lose this in San Jose. Um, though when she got that hot tag and everyone was going nuts for her, it's like, this really makes no sense. Like when you think of the, about the thought process, like we're in San Jose, let's pull Bailey from the SmackDown house show to put on. Why? Well, we're in her hometown. So let's beat her, of course. Like that to me, it's a, it's a completely contradictory logic. We need her here because it's her hometown. It's going to be popular. So we've got to have her lose as well on top of this. Like you can't think both ideas, mm-hmm. but they do somehow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, they were chanting for Bailey. Bliss then attacked Bailey's ribs and Becky got tagged in. She worked with Lacey Evans. Um, it seemed like Bailey and Becky, especially like they were trying to make their offense look as tight as possible with, especially with, with Lacey Evans, I think not wanting to make anything look uh, loose or just could fall apart. So it seemed like they were trying to really tighten everything up. Um, I thought that Bailey drop kick in the corner through the ropes was, was unfortunately rather short. And I don't know if that's due to Lacey's positioning or what. Yeah, there was there was that moment. And then uh, as they're chanting for Bailey, Evans is working on Becky. And then that's when there was the baseball slide drop kick on the floor. And Evans uh, went back to that spinning moonsault off the top, missing Becky uh, with it, which after the Natalia one, that's probably a good spot for her to miss on. Yeah, yeah. The jump looks great, though. It did. She got like a lot of height. It looked good. Mm-hmm. The hot tag was made to Bailey. She hit this running kick and the, to Bliss, and then hit her with this sunset flip smash into the middle turnbuckle. Why they put these moves together for Alexa Bliss? I have no idea. It's it's been a move I, I th- I've seen Bailey do like for a few times now, and I feel like it's often to Alexa Bliss, and I completely do not understand. Of all people, like I don't think she should be doing this move. Period. But. Of all people. Especially Alexa Bliss. Yes. Like, and this meant nothing. Like, this was just a spot in the match. It meant nothing. Like, I, I didn't understand this one at all. It just seems like they're, you know, flirting with danger. Um, so we go to the end. Evans is on the floor as Becky chases after her. And uh, Evans throws Nikki Cross into, uh, into Becky on the floor. And then allows her to hit the woman's right, knocking out Becky. And then hits a woman's right to Bailey from the floor. Alexa Bliss climbs to the top and hits the twisted Bliss. But before she jumped off the top, Evans made the tag and then came in as Bailey was setting up for the Bailey to belly onto Bliss and got hit with the woman's right from behind. And Lacey Evans pinned Bailey for the finish. Yeah, yeah. They like she delivered like three of those women's rights uh, in in the tail end here. So they're really trying to continue to to push this woman as well as her right. Um, they had to they had to rehab everything about last week from the woman's right to Charlotte that made no impact to that match that did not come off well last week. Yeah, I've so, already forgotten all of that. But um 
the match I thought was fine. Um, I I am really perplexed though that Bailey had to be the one to lose here when. Oh man, I I, I didn't see them beating anyone else. Like the you have the two challengers for the titles, but and but, Becky, but Bailey's the champion. She's still somebody who I think you still have to work a great deal to to rehab right now. And does it make sense for the champion to lose, especially with with Lacey Evans pitting her? Like if it was um, Alexa pitting her again, I think that would make sense because she's already getting a title shot anyway. It just kind of fuels that. But having Lacey pin the other champion, why not have Lacey pin Becky? I don't think they want to beat Becky right now. I guess, but in a like, tag team I, match, this, she she's about to face her again. It, it would justify Lacey at least getting a rematch. No, I totally get that. Like this, they're not going to Lacey and Bailey. So if yeah. anything, if anything, you could argue it should have been Alexa pinning Bailey. But obviously, like you can see the priority here of the champions. Becky is the priority, and of the challengers, Lacey is the priority. Yeah, and instead they sacrifice one whole other program just to kind of make your challenger for the raw belt look better um when i think having that tells you what your main title is among the women but it's so stupid because because having Lacey actually pin becky would be to the benefit of their program and really to everybody's program well especially after becky as they brought up in the promo submitted Lacey at the last pay-per-view like there really is no reason for this rematch that's what i mean yes yeah so it was um I don't know. I just assumed Bailey was the one taking the fall, but this but in her hometown, it, it's, it's such, perplexing. It's such like simplistic on the surface thinking, you know, like, oh, who's the who's the least over one of, of all these people? Who's the one we like who can uh, who who we have to protect the least? Uh, I guess it's yeah, it's Bailey. Sure. But anyway, I thought so, this was bad. So Monday night, there was a rare Smackdown house show, and therefore we got, I guess, the least amount of SmackDown talent since the wild card was instituted. We only got Owens and Bailey, correct? I don't think there was anyone else. I I was maybe in my mind trying to keep count, but I, I actually just stopped. Yeah. I mean, between those two, was there really anybody else? I don't anybody think so. in the like, elevator? Like Shane, you don't really count as a SmackDown person. And in the elevator, uh I don't count like, the yeah, you don't count the iconics because they're champs. Um I, I really don't know what brand Eric Young and crew are are part of so forgive me um nikki seemed bothered by the way they afterwards she was looking like bothered as alexa was celebrating and nikki seeing the way in which they won um that it seems like they are it's it's very very subtle almost too subtle for wwe that i wonder if this is just nikki trying to um kind of convey her own character here whether they're focusing it or not it definitely is a fine balance, you know, especially when you're doing WWE programming to like, you know, be a level where you're not so over the top that I think you're too obvious, but also not too subtle that, you know, your audience, half your audience doesn't pick up on the story. Nonetheless, I am interested. Yeah, like the, I think it was two weeks ago when Nikki teamed up with Becky and afterwards uh, Becky's holding up the title and you see a shot of Nikki just staring at the title. Uh, but it's like part of me just feels foolish for even thinking that that's something that you're supposed to be picking up on. That's going to pay off down the road. Yeah, we'll see. Zayn then met with Shane McMahon. 
And Zane says, we haven't always seen eye to eye. I was like, oh, yeah, they had they had quite the rivalry uh, with Kevin Owens. Well, Zane was the one who um, moved Kevin out of the way for that hell in a cell dive. And oh, yeah, Yeah. sent Shane into the depths of hell. So he asks to be the referee tonight as an audition for the Rollins uh, match with Baron Corbin. And he suggests, what if I just am an outside official, a second pair of eyes? And Shane comes back and says, how about this? How about you be the second referee on the outside as a second set of eyes? And Zayn says, that's genius. And I'm sure that there are many Vince McMahon stories like that. There definitely have been stories about Eric Bischoff where there used to be stories that, you know, he would, you'd throw an idea at him and then he'd come back with the idea that you had pitched the guy, but now he's the one pretending like he came up with it. So I'm sure that there was some inside joke about this. It's some it's it's a great way to get what you want, I guess. Then they plug John Cena joining Fast and Furious Nine, the Fast family. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be some drama going on with, with that whole thing in the oh, rock. Big drama. Yeah. Yeah. Rock's so. doing the uh, the spinoff with uh, Jason Statham uh, and the, the Roman Reigns is in this summer. And that put off Fast and Furious 9, which do we even know? Is Dwayne Johnson scheduled to be in that movie or not? I don't think so. I think this was Cena replacing him, essentially. Yeah, that's I don't know. It's, Man, uh, I, I can't wait till like the uh, the behind the scenes like documentary comes out on Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. I think it's going to be a fascinating uh Rundown of everything. I don't rule out that, you know, the whole thing's at work and they're only building up to Cena versus Rock in Fast 12 or something like that. They but, could. But yeah. I look I look forward to seeing Cena in the Fast movies. I think this will be the, like, you know, much like I feel like it was the Fast movies that really helped reinvigorate The Rock's career. I think it'll Vice versa, much- too. Like, it helped Dwayne Johnson. It also saved that franchise. Yeah, I mean, the one before that was already really good, but you're right. I think it took him to a different level. But I think for Cena, this will be like, he's had like, you know, strong movies, but I think this This could be a big one for him. This could really take him to the next level. Paul Heyman was in the ring and was disturbed by the animosity between Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. And he said the Lesnar went against his advice last week, not cashing in. They recapped the Rollins attack at Super Showdown. Rollins is not a worthy universal champion. He is a feckless thug, and he has guaranteed that Lesnar will continue to be Mr. Money in the Bank 2019. They were going to announce his cash-in in advance, but now they will not be telling Rollins when they cash in. And he's not insinuating that Lesnar is here tonight, but he's not insinuating that he isn't either. And so he teases that Lesnar could be the referee in Tacoma, He could beat down Rollins in his most vulnerable state and violate the PG era. And he says this is a threat, a promise, and a guarantee that Lesnar will take the title and become the Beast Slayer Slayer. Put that on a t-shirt. And then what's Rollins when he beats him again? The Beast Slayer Slayer Slayer. We just keep this was, going. This, this was a bad tagline. I hope this one just dies <laughs> uh, on the on the on the floor. I don't know if it was really meant to be like a, a real nickname or or maybe just you know 
Uh, I think every one of these is is Heyman trying to throw out something to get over. Potentially. But I, I, I like the pr- promo a lot from Paul. I I think I'm just really grateful that the weeks of baiting and switching are finally over with Brock Lesnar. Oh, I, I saw this as the opposite. That Really? Like, Heyman is there, uh, like, every week on the staff. So yeah. you can do stuff like you're pretending like he's talking in the room to somebody that we can't see, and it's going to be constant teases without Brock even being there. Well, what I mean is, you know, them saying, next week I'm going to cash in, or tonight Brock Lesnar is going to cash in, or tonight Brock Lesnar is going to reveal. All this stuff that I feel um, has been incredibly underhanded and incredibly damaging to your already very weakened reputation with your audience, at least I feel like we will get a somewhat of a, a of a pause to that, you know? Um, I I much prefer the use of Brock this way in the same way that I think you know, previous money in the bank holders uh, have, have been used, except with the benefit of Brock Lesnar, of course, him not being on TV means that they can't job him out because he's, he has the briefcase. It, it's fine. Um, I wonder if this was the plan when he initially won the briefcase or if he was supposed to cash it in at, at, at uh, Saudi Arabia or what, but I, I can't imagine the, the plan was for him to go all the way to Saudi Arabia to do what he did. Yeah, that's that's really odd. So I I don't know, you know, ultimately where this ends up. But Brock with the briefcase, not necessarily the best choice, of course. But now that he has it, uh, I think it's it's caught somewhat caught on, at least you know, with the bre- the broom box and things like that. And um, I think they'll ride this out probably as long as they can. Do you think we see Brock before SummerSlam? Yeah, I would I would think he's he's going to be on SummerSlam. You think he'll cash in before that, or what? It could be, like, if you look at the opponents for Seth Rollins, um, there's not a whole lot of options. So the idea of Brock cashing in at Extreme Rules, and then you do the rematch at SummerSlam, I could see that as viable. Um, I've seen the idea thrown out about Brock cashing in on Kofi and doing that rematch. Um, There's Mm -hmm. an argument there. Um, yeah, and then, you know, they've kind of thrown up the misdirection there with Rollins. So that's almost as big of a match, in my opinion, maybe even bigger. Kofi Kofi going for the title against Brock in a, in a rematch at SummerSlam, like that could be yeah. maybe, more, maybe more valuable ultimately to, to get Kofi over to the next level. Whereas Rollins, um, you know, you, you can put him in a match with someone that's not like an A-list challenger. Um, and you can also bring someone over from SmackDown too for Rollins. I mean, you can get creative because um, on the Raw end, we're, I mean, he's in a feud with Baron Corbin. It's not like there's a long list of guys at the moment that are ready for him. Yeah, but I, I do like the idea of Brock and Kofi. Yeah, it's maybe maybe they could do that, and it will genuinely, I think, surprise people if if they went that direction. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it also gets bit of a surprise and a big match for Kofi because yeah again there's not um on SmackDown like both champions like you don't have like that big match that you feel that they're they're waiting on uh, on either end like it's not like they're going to Kofi and Roman Reigns uh anytime soon Mm -hmm. we go back to the elevator Heath Slater is worried he's gonna die and EC3 says they're gonna have to resort to cannibalism As he pulls out a fork. There's also no phone service in this elevator. And Drake Maverick reveals. He's got to get out of here. 
because he's getting married in a few weeks. And EC3 says, you're getting married and you didn't even tell me. And Maverick says, you're the best man. And R-Truth says, I'm really scared of Hornswoggle. And Maverick corrects him saying, I'm not Hornswoggle. I thought there was some funny stuff in here. I thought like there were some funny lines too. Like I did not mind these elevator segments. They were a lot better than just running around the building. You had a group of of uh, uh, talent in, in particular here who I think all exhibit pretty good comedic timing. Perhaps with the exception of you know Cedric Alexander, who's really not kind of known for for that. But between Drake and even Carmella and 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 R Truth and EC three and, and Heath Slater, I think those particular people were probably chosen for a reason. And I thought they all did pretty well. It, it ended up kind of turning into like a breakfast club, but with like raw jobbers. It's a good, it's a good comparison. The Iconics came out. They announced that they are the longest reigning and defending WWE women's tag champions. And they've demanded the toughest competition, scouted the world, and found these two from San Jose. And they will never be champions. Just like the San Jose Sharks will never be Stanley Cup champions. Boo! And then we had our match with the Iconics against Lisa Lace and Aaliyah M- Mia. Aaliyah Mia. Aaliyah Mia, yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they tried. I, I, I thought the announcers like were making up the names on the spot here. I guess po- it's possible. I don't know. But they had like... Um, Cole throw to Graves for some information on Lisa Lace and <laughs> Corey just like couldn't keep a straight face. He was just like, like, I can't. He broke like trying to, I don't know if he was reading lines or maybe at your suggestion, maybe they were making all this stuff up on the spot. I don't know. They couldn't even tell who was who. This all felt improvised. Uh, Michael Cole said, <laughs> as Mauro Ronaldo would say, Aaliyah Mia. <laughs> Dude, it was so bad. It was a joke I wouldn't have even done. I wonder where the names came from. I mean, I know they're often kind of like um, references to people who work in the back or something like that. But um, Lisa, Lisa, and Aaliyah Mia, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. These were ridiculous names. What I love is hey. that like somewhere out there, like Cage Match or, or Grapple, like there is record now of Lisa, Lace and Aaliyah Mia having a match. Like it's one thing when you're you're paying attention that – on the main roster, it's really hit and miss if they'll name the enhancement talent. A lot of the times, they won't even name them. Uh, in NXT, they always name the enhancement talent. So it's actually kind of funny when they actually do on the main roster. I almost think it's just to just for, for com- comedy for the announcers to play off of. Mm-hmm. Kay just lifts up Mia and... Peyton Royce hits this really weak looking knee strike and they pin them in a minute 18. Like this was nothing. It was just fodder for. Are you sure it was Mia and not Lace? They said that Lisa Lace never got tagged in during this entire match. So by process of elimination, it was. I thought they just said Mia. I thought they just said the other girl didn't get tagged in, but it doesn't matter. Do you want to go back and rewatch this? Live on air right now? Sure. I don't. Uh, they won in a minute 18. I think it's a gimmick that's, you know, fine for glow, like in the 80s. <laughs> but like in 2019, I think, you know, at a time when you're try at least with Bailey and Sasha, you were really trying to establish a, t- a credible tag team championship. And, and according to the taste of the public right now, we want serious wrestling. 
in particular, serious women's wrestling. I think to come in and just basically take over that reign to introduce what is turning out to be like an 80s comedy run really is 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 still like a perplexing call to me, you know? Um, obviously, they are gearing these belts to be, you know, taken by another challenging babyface team. Uh, remains to be you seen who that really... team is. Like, they're yeah. not building up uh, Asuka and Kyrie Sane. You know, that could change this week, you know, with, with, with Crown Jewel or what is it? Super Showdown out of the way. Uh, who else is there? Of tag teams? I mean, they're starting to team Natalia and Dana Brooke on main event together. I mean, that's a makeshift team you could throw together. Um, they're not going to beat them for it. They're not hot enough for that. Anyway. Yeah. It's just, it's makeshift teams. Like, maybe... Bliss and Nikki Cross, that'll be part of their feud is winning yeah. these titles or something and then break them up afterwards. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just I, I would be much higher on the Iconics if they had nothing to do with the titles. Yeah. Cole says that um, the Iconics are a joke. And you know what else was a joke? What went down this past Friday at Super Showdown? It's like, oh, really? Uh, but it was only the setup for a Roman Reigns, Shane McMahon recap. And then we got the interview with Byron with Reigns, and his question was, how much will this loss haunt you, Roman, that the record book will forever state that Shane McMahon beat you? And Roman, sometimes like the questions are just so uh, offensive that you want the interview subject to just snap at the interviewer, but they never do. And he says that Shane beat him the same way he's got everything in life because it was given to him. By Drew McIntyre. And I'm going to bounce back at stomping grounds. I'm going to kick ass. And take names. And that first name. Will be Drew McIntyre. That's what he said. Like He actually made it literal. So. um, Again all the credit in the world to Roman. For trying to do his best to make this sound. Somewhat cool. Um, Whether or not he was successful is up to you. To determine but. God, it sounds unnatural trying to fit these taglines in. Yeah, it was just really force-feeding this obvious slogan that they're just repeating. Uh, Next was the Shane McMahon, Drew McIntyre celebration. We had bagpipers out to play out Drew. And then Greg Hamilton did the big intro, and the ring is decorated with the the best-in-the-world trophy. Balloons are out. Shane says that Roman Reigns is special. He's a future Hall of Famer, which did not draw a big reaction from the crowd for that notion. And he hits like a mule. He's won the Royal Rumble twice, headlined WrestleMania, multiple champion. But what he doesn't have is a victory over him. He said Roman Reigns was at his best on Friday, but so was I. And Drew helped me prepare. And the crowd starts chanting, boring. Shane says, I can go all night. And Drew wishes this celebration was not in San Jose. He says Roman's the measuring stick at stomping grounds. Drew is going to hurt and maim him and says that he will make Roman unrecognizable. That's a hell of a stipulation. A face-off match. Well, cut his face off, yeah. Um, I think it's such an odd role for Drew McIntyre to be put in here. He's essentially like the muscle for Shane McMahon, yes. But... his boss has already accomplished the goal that he's trying to attempt to achieve here. Like his, they've already beaten Roman Reigns. So what more is like, what reason is there? Where's the heat to this match? There's no reason for drew to want this match. Um, 
And so for having him to have him cut a promo here doesn't make much sense. Roman cutting a promo, wanting revenge on Drew. Yeah, that makes total sense. But like Drew really has nothing to say here. And ultimately, Drew is likely going to fail in this match. I don't see them beating Roman twice in a row. I agree. So, I mean, it really, it's just all the heat is here for Shane McMahon. And that is what they are building to, which I I just find it like kind of like Shane McMahon. It's like he's playing a very stereotypical role within wrestling that here is the loudmouth manager that's cost that's constantly stirring up shit for the baby face. And the big the money is in the chase for the baby face to finally get his hands on the manager. And Friday, like he gets his hands on him, but we're doing like. A 50-50 match the whole time. It's not Shane, like, running from this guy. It's not like your typical match layout for that manager. It's like this guy goes 50-50 with him and then gets the the run-in from Drew to get the win. And it's just... is He's a manager who also happens to be an incredibly great wrestler. And I think that's what's so strange about it all. He has to both be the annoying manager and the the guy who's supposed to be as good, pretty much, or a level just below Drew McIntyre. I was, I don't know why my mind just wandered this direction during this promo, but I was scared to death of Shane McMahon seeing that Kotobushi Tetsuya Naito match. Well, at least like in the WWE, I feel like they are a bit more protective of taking neck Stupid neck bumps. I mean, again, maybe bad example coming off of uh, Friday, but um, I, I feel like they're usually a lot more cautious about head things. But again, maybe bad time to say coming off of that Alexa Bliss uh, Bailey buckle bomb. Anyway, I don't know. Shane's not really known for neck stuff, though. He's more more known for like jumping and falling off of things. Uh, they ended the segment by pouring champagne into the big trophy that Shane drank from. And then introduced the revival and said they could join in on their party if they won the tag titles in the next match. So kind of teasing like an alliance with the revival Drew and Mastermind Shane. There was also the insinuation that even though they the revival lost their match on the kickoff on Friday, they were inserted into this title opportunity because of Shane McMahon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So anything that makes no sense, they attribute it to Shane. Like, why does Baron get to pick his referee? For the the match on the next pay per view, after losing, Shane. Yeah. Why are the Why did the revival lose on Friday when they've got a title shot tonight, Shane? Like yeah. the, Shane is there out now. Yeah, heel manager kind of gets you know gets you through everything. Maybe that's why they've relied on it for so long. Why are there only two talents coming on here from SmackDown this week? Yeah. Shane. On the other end, when Stephanie uh, puts up a video demanding that Brock has to cash in. And then it changes. She is nowhere to be found on Raw. Well, that's Shane too, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Shane uh, Shane took over the show. <laughs> uh, SmackDown on Tuesday night in Sacramento. It's 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 another return of Big E. I didn't know you could have two returns in the span of like four weeks, but Big E has. <laughs> uh, it will be the new day against Ziggler, Owens, and Zayn on Tuesday night. It's a monthly return. Yes. First time in yeah. June you get to see him. That's true. <laughs> Uh, Ryder and Hawkins are interviewed in the back. Uh, they go over their respective plights before winning the tag titles. And then this, this was the line that summed up this entire run. They state the Usos may be the best tag team in the world, but we're the raw tag champions. 
Like that completely summarizes this this tag title situation. I get what they mean, but yeah, I get what you mean too. Ryder and Hawkins, the revival and the Usos for the Raw tag titles. Uh, Graves called Renee a hypocrite for complaining about the Iconics never defending their tag titles. One of Hawkins and Ryder defended theirs. She was like, yeah, that's true. Are they, of- how- are they counting house shows, maybe? No, no, house shows never count. Yeah. You know, actually, at the SmackDown house show, I think it was in Stockton on Sunday night, it was a very, very rare singles loss at a house show by Randy Orton to Aleister Black. Interesting. Okay. Yes. It's hmm. very rare that he loses like that. Um, they go through the commercial. Jimmy hit this big tope onto the revival. Audience was cheering. They got into this. Uh, Ryder hit a rough rider onto Jimmy, but Jay had tagged in. He super kicked Hawkins and Ryder, then super kicked Wilder, and then delivered another super kick to Zack Ryder. Uh, Jay then climbs to the top, and Scott Dawson makes the tag as Jay comes off the top with a splash. And then Jay, after hitting this splash successfully, rolls to the floor like he's so damaged from his own maneuver. Yeah. And Dawson just runs in. And this was also like, this was pretty much the the same finish, or mm-hmm. very similar to the women's one we just saw with the blind tag. Uh, and then Dawson gets on top of Ryder and pins him as Jay killed himself doing his finish. I don't think there was really anything wrong with, with all that, but it was like, yeah, the fact that Jay had to flop off of it. I mean, similar to RVD um, flopping off of his like frog splash, but like flopping so hard. Um, I would have just had Wilder there just to he can rebound and bounce off and then Wilder just throws him to the floor. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, it could be Wilder. Or it could be Dawson even like either one sure. of those guys just basically making that look a little bit more realistic. But beyond that, I, I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, a fine booking decision. Audience got into this match and like, thank God they got the tag titles off of Hawkins and Ryder. I mean, yeah. I don't know if this is really going to be a, a giant turn for this tag division, but no, of certainly not. it's better on the revival, I, w- I would say. I completely agree. And that's kind of the bar that, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about right now. Not the bar, but um, the <laughs> bar that the, that the tag team division is set at. You know, are, we're happy that they're off of champions that aren't doing anything with it. How often have we run into this situation? You know, I'm looking at the B team. I'm looking at uh, probably Heat's whatever. The last time it, who are they on? Can you trace the the tag team, the Raw tag no, team? I, I refuse to even try. <laughs> but it just like seems to go from one joke team to another. Um, maybe this is another attempt at you know trying to make them serious. Certainly, between the Re- revival and the Usos, you have two very great serious tag teams, uh, and I imagine they'll probably go to Revival versus Usos right now. Beyond that, what do you have? I don't know. I'm fine with the revival and the Usos. That's fine. This is I, not I need... see. This is. I don't think it's a tough division to really book. To be honest with you, like just make this the workhorse belt. You have the talent back there. Just even like out of your twenty four seven crop, like put Cedric Alexander in a tag team with somebody else, and and just EC three and Drake Maverick, whatever. Like you, I think you can have so many teams that could just like deliver pretty good matches. Then we went backstage. Uh, Rollins was with Charlie. He's ready for Lesnar anytime. He's ready for Corbin at Stomping Grounds. And he's ready for Owens and Zayn tonight. Thank you for the status update. He's ready for anything. Elevator. Maverick is still talking about his wedding and how he's scared. 
EC3 mentions he's been married five times. This was the point where I was starting to enjoy EC3. Uh, they suggest that he get a white suit, but then Cedric points out that white is for the bride, and Maverick points out it's my day too. And once again, Truth has to be reminded that he is not Hornswoggle. They start singing We Are Family together. And then the elevator opens, and all the geeks have been waiting for this entire time. Truth tries to escape. There's a bunch of pin attempts. And then Carmella drags our truth back to the elevator, and it closes to end tonight's um, multi-chapter story involving the 24-7 crew. I thought it was really funny how they were you know, having this like bonding moment and then ultimately saying We Are Family. But then... The elevator opens and they immediately try to pin each other. So that was pretty clever. Um, This week, I thought it was a win for for this 24-7 title. Do you remember when Dean Ambrose brought up, was it, I think it was Dean Ambrose, um, in one of his recent interviews that when he was talking about people who are happy, and he specifically mentioned R-Truth, R-Truth is always happy with whatever is given to him. I really think this past weekend and this trip to Saudi Arabia was the testing point. How happy is this guy that he went all the way over there to do a segment on a plane? And then they remember they did the promo that Jinder Mahal said he's going to win the title back on the plane ride home. Yeah. Did did they even do that? I don't believe so. Maybe it was just an empty threat. You know, (laughs) they didn't even tape a thing like with our truth on the way home just to do something he defends the belt nothing this guy went over there i mean god bless this guy if he was just enjoyed going over on a trip I'm sure but, he was man. paid for it john but, awesome yeah. awesome um i guess you can argue though you know maybe more people saw the youtube clip than saw the pay-per-view so you know yeah he he's he has a job, he has a title as, you know, and he has like a recurring role on both Raw and SmackDown. So no reason to be unhappy if you're our truth, I would I would think. Firefly Funhouse. Bray had a sign that read, "Abandon all hope, ye who exit here." And he welcomed everyone by saying konnichiwa. Yeah, I'm not looking too deep into that. I think it's just, you know, whatever. He's um, maybe he speaks multiple languages that we're not aware of. Uh, he goes over to Mercy and the Rambling Rabbit and threatens to get the fiend. And he then Rabbit starts talking into the camera that he's going to expose what's really happening inside the Firefly Funhouse. And Bray grabs the rabbit and bashes it over the head with a hammer and then goes to taste its blood by proclaiming yowie wowie it's delicious and he is now offering rambling rabbit breakfast spread start every morning with a smash before ending it by saying he'll always light the way all you have to do is let me in Mm -hmm. this was a very dark firefly funhouse and uh, were we supposed to read uh, Rambling Rabbit trying to expose what's really going on behind the scenes as our John Moxley reference? <laughs> um, could be. Yeah, I'm possible. joking. I'm joking. Right. Okay. I, I mean, I think what it it probably means is is just uh, it's Bray's 
It's the like I, what we gather is that each character is an internal voice of, of Bray Wyatt it is is a part of Bray Wyatt's mind, and perhaps this is Bray suppressing the part of his mind that's been threatening to break out of this coma or whatever he's in, this type of you know hi, uh, hypnosis, and uh, he actively suppressed it here by killing it and turning it into rabbit spread. So um, there's also the uh, threatening of the fiend coming at some point. So that all adds, I think, a good deal of intrigue. I'm officially on board with these now. I, I feel like they've been really, you know, pretty much hit and miss for a long time. But I think, like, at least I start to... I, I'm either understanding them finally, or maybe they're getting a little bit better. I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit of both. But I'm going to... I'm not sick of them yet. I don't even really want to see Bray wrestle yet. I want to see where some of these uh, uh, threads lead. I was thinking over this past week that, like, I just feel it's almost a certainty that once this guy starts wrestling, he is going to fade back. And I would, like, I don't think anyone is tired of these. I would run with these as long as as the audience is engaged with these, this is a character that you can absolutely market through. There are like a bunch of merchandise ideas that you could surround with the Firefly Funhouse. This can be a very marketable character in this form as it is now. I know ultimately you do have to get this guy into the ring, but more and more I'm questioning if you have to like that to me is going to ultimately kill off a lot of what people are interested in with this. So I would be in no rush to end these. Yeah, I'm in no rush, but I think ultimately you have to have him wrestle. I mean, we're talking about a wrestling program, right? And I think the trick is to see how he can incorporate all these different elements into his in-ring persona. Maybe it, I think it's it's damn near impossible in the on this show. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. But, you know, it doesn't mean he can. Lead, he has to lead these forever. Maybe some weeks he spends in reality, other weeks he spends with, with some of these segments. Um, but I, I, I definitely think as long as they're able to maintain the creativity involved, the, you know, introduction of teases and, and kind of metaphors that, that we're kind of seeing here for elements of Bray's, uh, uh, Bray's head, I, I, I'm still intrigued. Um, yeah, we'll see how long they can keep it going. Main event, Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Uh, Sami Zayn came out in his referee shirt dancing around. If you had just tuned in, I think half the people would have thought Bryce Remsburg was hired. Uh, he, Sami Zayn was hilarious at the beginning here. He gave this yeah. speech to John Cohen. I trust you in the ring. I need your trust outside the ring. <laughs> and then he goes to check on Rollins and he's patting him down and asks if he has a knife if he has a knife on him. I thought Zayn was hilarious here. He and Owens were great. Uh, I thought they they were tremendous and made this thing work probably a lot better than a lot of people could. He gives this like in-depth search of Seth Rollins and then he just quickly pats down Owens and barely checks him. Uh it actually would have been, in another era would have been hilarious if Kevin Owens did have a knife on him. Uh, <laughs> they Teased redoing the finish to the Baron Corbin match uh, when Zayn distracted and then he just kept getting into Rollins' way uh, whenever he ha had the advantage. Owens then drove Rollins' injured ribs into the barricade and hit a DDT on the floor. We came back from the commercial break and Owens is in, a, is 
has the advantage, climbs to the top and goes for a swanton, lands on Rollins' knees, and then Rollins avoids a pop-up. They trade super kicks. Rollins goes to the top, and Sami Zayn gets in the way, and the audience is furious at this. They're really getting upset that Zayn is screwing up Seth Rollins' game plan. And it led to a roll-up by Owens for a two-count. Owens then hit, uh, Rollins hit his suicide dive, and in doing the suicide dive, he hit Kevin Owens, but he also nailed Sami Zayn, who just sold ridiculously. And he goes into the ring, he hits the stomp, John Cohn goes to make the cover, but then he gets pulled to the floor. Zayn wants this match to end with a DQ, and he takes over as the referee in the ring. And Rollins then grabs Zayn by the shirt, and Zayn disqualifies him. And we they announce Kevin Owens is the winner by disqualification, and they cut to Owens laid out on the floor, putting his arm in the air, celebrating this victory. <laughs> it was an awesome cutaway to Owens. Uh I really like this. I thought everyone was great in this. I completely agree with you. Uh, and I'm, you know, obviously Sami Zayn was the MVP of this entire thing. He, he's so fucking talented um, at, at, at this type of comedy. He's a great wrestler in itself, but like he and Owens just have like incredible comedic sense. So the two of them were just fantastic here playing their roles. Rollins played an excellent straight man. I thought the referee, John Cohn, too, did his part. So I thought it was all really successful. They got the crowd incredibly hot. And I thought they did a great job building sympathy for Seth Rollins. Uh, Afterwards, Rollins attacked Zayn. Corbin runs down and goes after Rollins. And Rollins ends up getting a chair. He's also been busted up over his left eye here. I don't know what happened. It happened during the match. And he gets the chair and just beats the hell out of Sami Zayn with it. As Corbin watches on... Uh, just repeated chair shots to Sami Zayn and then lays him out with the stomp as he stares down Corbin. Uh, of the three heels, I think the least interesting one is challenging for the title at the pay-per-view. But I thought that, like, obviously, I think everyone's led to believe Zayn is going to be the referee here. And I think we're going to get one of those convoluted stipulations where if Rollins is disqualified, he loses the title to make you believe that there's a chance of a title change, which... I'm never a big fan of those. I never think they work very well, but that seems to be where they're going here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose if uh, Zayn does end up being the the referee, at least I have something to look forward to in that match because um, he is hilarious playing this role. Uh, it, it, will it be too much of a retread, though, for them to do it on a pay-per-view? Eh, maybe. I don't know. But I, I, at the end of this, I really would rather see Rollins versus Zayn, and they could very well be building up to that at, at some point. But Corbin versus Rollins, even in a cage, is just such a weak uh, title program for a main uh, or a main event. Like it, ha- it, it's a main event, right? Like, or what else? What's Co- it's, who's Kofi? It's either that or it's it's um, Kofi and uh, Ziggler is in the cage. Oh, okay, so what is this? Th- this is just a match with 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 the referee. They're both incredibly weak, so I'm guessing this I'm is guessing a weak show. This. Like when you look at it, like the this is the we have five matches. It's Rollins and Corbin with uh, they have not named the referee, but uh, it only makes sense it'll be Zayn, Kingston and Ziggler in a steel cage for the WWE title. Becky Lynch against Lacey Evans, Bailey against Alexa Bliss, and Roman Reigns against Drew McIntyre. It That's looks not a great lineup. So it far. looks like one of the worst cards they've had in years. Uh, now that you actually spell it all out for me, like that, that wouldn't fly on an episode of Raw. So, man, I, 
I don't know. They're going to have to try they, harder. They don't maybe, have a maybe, lot. Maybe the 205 Live guys could main event it. I, I think the Revival and Usos has a chance to be the best match of the Jeez. show if that gets added. Bring Walter, man. Please, just something. Well, that is Stomping Grounds, which is uh, in two weeks. So, um, you know, this is probably going to be the least watched Raw of the year going against this basketball game. Um, but I thought I thought this was a, a marked improvement over last week's Raw. Um, and maybe it was because the Super Showdown, I thought, was the worst WWE show this year. And maybe will be worst show of the year that I... I, I thought I thought Raw was uh, an improvement. I thought I Raw was that. was fairly decent. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought um, show long storylines, like even the twenty four seven thing, I enjoyed. Um, I thought you know the stuff they did with Zayn was fine. Was actually entertaining. I mean, no, not much Baron Corbin on this show. I feel so that's a plus. I don't have a ton to complain about outside of maybe the Bailey. the Bailey booking. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, let us go. Do you, um, let me just look here. The, so the lowest raw this year was 2,158,000 viewers. Do you think this will be lower than that? Uh, when this number comes out on Tuesday? (laughs) Oh man. I'm going to say a little above, maybe a little above 2 million. I think it'll be a little lower. I think this will be the lowest of the year. Um, the question will be, is it lower than what they did on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve? I don't know if it'll go that low, but we'll see on Tuesday. Um, I think this is one that's not going to be... Uh, I mean, if there's viewed. anything they can bank on, it's perhaps some buzz coming out of Super Showdown, but I can't see what buzz would, would be coming out of <laughs> I don't it. know. Hey, I don't know if there was any buzz to be had. Well, I mean, you like a post-pay-per-view, you, you might get something, but this is hardly qualified as a pay-per-view. Well, no, the Goldberg, silver li- no Goldberg taker mentions at all. Yeah, that's a great point. Nothing. Yeah. Not a thing. Like, you wouldn't have even known that match happened on tonight's show. We're going to pretend it didn't, I guess. Oh. Um. I guess the silver lining is that the playoffs are now um, there, there's no more competition for them uh, for the rest of the summer. So. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> so I can watch these games without um, Raw or SmackDown. Man, even if they go to seven games, the game's on Sunday and this is a very late weekend. There's Imagine Stomping Grounds was this Sunday way and they went to game seven. Could you imagine you watching that, that lineup I just gave you uh, with game seven going on? Yeah, that'd be tough. All right, well, let's head on over to the forum and see what everyone else had to say. I feel this is one of those Raw's way where you and I were uh, uh, positive on it, and we're now just going to get it all thrown back at us. But we will see. What What do you think? What do you think the forum voted on? I this? think the forum will vote four point five. A uh, four point two three, so still sure. a failure. Let's go to Paul from New Jersey. His positives. Evans and Lynch sounded excellent. I find it a tad strange having a Marine who overcame a lot act as a woman sleeping her way to the top, but perhaps I'm nitpicking. The Bliss Cross dynamic has been consistently good week to week. The women's tag team champions won a match on television, kind of. That's neat. I'm just going to say it. I thoroughly enjoyed the elevator bit with the 24-7 title. I can feel John rolling his eyes as I write this. Uh, no, Paul. I did not mind it. Negatives. My failure to realize that WWE is a cross-cultural and none of this is for the money. Uh, I hate, hate, hate the wild card. 
I think he's referring to the the videos um, of the fans that they showed from Saudi Arabia, and then oh, and then Cole or one of the announcers mentioning WWE is a cross cultural phenomenon or whatever the the line is. So okay. yeah, gotcha. Maybe. Yeah, okay. Uh, he says o- overall this was a better show than the past several weeks. However, it's still a bit of a struggle. Go Toronto. Carl Jr. says, I've been watching wrestling for 13 years and I see people get injured and injuries happen. Accidents happen. We know this. Ricochet landing on Cesaro's knee was brutal to see. And my question is, should wrestlers be held more accountable for stuff like this other than an apology, whether it's a fine or suspension? It was not it was not an injury. And Cesaro was just improvising afterwards. So it it wasn't an injury. He was just improvising. So he wasn't hurt at all. I think it was, I don't think, I, I don't know if Ricochet was supposed to land on the knee, but Cesaro just went with it afterwards. Like, he was said to be fine after. Well, that's good. But I do not think wrestlers should be fined or even suspended for accidentally injuring somebody somebody else. I mean, it's the risk of the job. Um, there's no way I, I would justify finding somebody for being, I mean, if... There's a is somebody being reckless? Is somebody entering a ring intoxicated like Jeff Hardy was at Victory Road? Then yeah, of course you find somebody there. But if somebody is doing their best, uh, even in the case of like a Nia Jax, you know, doing the punching Becky, uh, as unskilled as perhaps that punch was, she was perhaps trying her best, and I don't think you can fault or find somebody for that. Uh, let's go to Tyler from Orlando. Not quite as bad as previous Raws have been lately. I think the promo work on this show was horrendous, but the wrestling fairly made up for it. Uh, still looking forward to whatever Bray Wyatt is doing each week, but begs the question, once Bray actually returns in the ring, do you think he maintains the current interest his new character has? Uh, that's going to be the million-dollar question. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I feel like he can. Um, I feel like the weakest part of his game before... Mm-hmm. Might have been the in ring wasn't that bad, you know, like it was fine, but like nothing really spectacular. And I felt the very same way about his promos. They would just take so much time, and I I would always see, you know, technically, oh, great delivery and all that. Maybe you know, uh, if you write it all out and look at it four months later, uh, <laughs> over the course of two years and add seven and then divide it by five, you might get a great promo in there. But um, I think having like the strength of this character and, uh, and, and all these, this, this new world he's, he's kind of built around him is going to at least reinvigorate his promos. So at least that'll be a huge improvement. And I think that could translate in ring just simply because he'll be more over. We go to Javante from the rubble of Pontiac Silverdome. The most interesting part of this episode was either Cole mentioning Saudi Arabia by name or Graves not giving a fuck about the tag team jobbers. I found it really interesting that they would re-air that video from Super Showdown, but I guess if you're getting paid to promote a nation, why do it on a network that reaches just over 1 million when you can do it on television that reaches 3 million plus in the US alone? Do you think they are going to start playing their propaganda videos on television more? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I, we talked a lot about this um, on the Super Showdown review, but I think they are going to just slowly reintegrate mentions of Saudi Arabia, mentions of, you know, uh, well, I don't know, what a, uh, what a great cross-cultural platform the WWE is through videos like this. And I think these are just kind of 
very subtle ways of like getting the audience comfortable again with the idea of the WWE doing shows in Saudi Arabia. I think it'll still be a while before we get like full on MBS is amazing videos, but are we that far off from like, you know, more videos talking about like advancements in Saudi Arabia? I'm really not sure. Uh, what do you think, John? I think that there, I mean, ultimately it comes down to how much say WWE has in this, which I, I think is minimal to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel that they're probably very sensitive to the idea of not to say that, you know, a, a show like John Oliver's the be all end all of their decision process. But I think they're cognizant of the fact that a show like Greatest Royal Rumble, they gave a lot of ammunition and footage that made them look really bad. And to be so blatant like that, uh, I think that they just they set themselves up for a lot lot larger outlets to really take aim at them. You're going to see, I think, you're going to continue to see much more subtle forms of maybe some things that'll spread the same message, though. You know, um, and I, but you know, yeah, things that I I think you know, if played on something like a John Oliver, wouldn't make that much sense. Things that I think even played on Raw would raise doubt that it was uh, even an attempt to make anything look like it's propaganda. I think people can criticize maybe, you know, my interpretation of those videos as anything but, you know, them showing off like what wonderful fans they have at a show like that. Um, nonetheless, I, I I think seeing the history and the 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 realities of this particular deal and the money that's exchanged from the government to the WWE for these shows, you have to definitely question everything that you're seeing in re- relation to it. His question, uh, Javante says, with New Japan announcing a tournament to take place on American soil, do you, what do you guys think the next plan will be in their overseas expansion? Do you think they'll go the NXT route and set up a U.S. division? I mean, they already have a piece or dojo here. Or do you think they will go the main roster route and just try to find decent enough TV on foreign soil while touring there every once in a while? I don't see them really changing up. Like you don't hear any talk about you know, a separate U.S. roster or anything like that, that, you know, there were hints of uh, when they were first opening up the dojo. I think that at this point, they're very content to be working with Ring of Honor on their shows, and that could always change. And then doing the these other shows where they come several times a year. And, you know, they've when it comes to expanding in the American market, that's where they've been hit very hard this year in terms of the talent that they've lost. Um, mm-hmm. That... I don't know if that's necessarily the best game plan to be coming in and not just competing with the WWEs of the world, uh, but also now all elite wrestling um, I think, on top of that. I think all elite's probably a bigger, their biggest competition. You know, they're, they're, they're very much gearing, like trying to attract that same demographic of lapsed WWE fans who are hungry and, you know, they're basically taking their top star in Kenny Omega to form a new promotion around. So, um, the thing is, though, they do have Dean Ambrose, at least for this year, who I think is a more than suitable replacement to attract that audience. So I think those Dallas shows, uh, the, the G1 shows that they're doing here will be perfectly fine. Where they go after that, though, beyond Dean Ambrose, if Dean Ambrose is tied up with AEW, that remains to be seen. All right, let's go to Brandon from New Jersey. Yo, soy amigos, it is I, your dearest servant. Been a minute since we spoke. Just want to speak my piece into existence about the raw proceedings. But first, shame on those Raptors fans. 
for cheering the injury of Kevin Durant in the same building where they cheered Goldberg after he got concussed while spearing Bret Hart when he wore the vibranium chest plate for shame. Well, um, the Goldberg thing, uh, notwithstanding, I completely agree with Brandon about the, I don't know how much. What happened? So, so Kevin Durant is is their star player who's been missing for a good month, uh, for Golden State. And, uh, he's been battling what, what the press is or what they've been calling a calf injury. But because he hasn't been doing any, like, you know, interviews, you haven't really heard too much about it. Some people suspected that it was a lot more serious than that. So he basically kind of, you know, gutted it out and played what could have been the Golden State Warriors final game this season. So he like had an excellent first quarter, um, uh, scored just uh, really well, uh, was, you know, pretty much like, you know, their, their star player uh, as before. But then at some point, I think it was either in the first or second quarter. Forgive me, I, I was watching Raw at the same time. He um he he twisted his leg and uh, started grabbing his heel and what looked to be perhaps his Achilles rather than you know the calf injury. Um, so he was taken out of the game and really sad to see. But like once he like sat down on that floor holding his like heel you had people cheering and I'm, I'm, I'm really That's embarrassed. Terrible. Like, you know, then the Raptors, like you had, you know, uh, uh, the rest of the team, like Serge, Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry tell people to like chill and like not, not react that way. So I know it's like sports. It's like a heat of the moment thing, but you know, this is a nobody wants to beat somebody like beat a team. That's like, you know, not a hundred percent. And certainly nobody wants to see, an athlete who's here ultimately to, you know, for our entertainment, be hurt in real life, possibly with something that's career threatening. So on behalf of Toronto, I'd like to apologize uh, for anybody who might have might have seen that. All right, uh, you're up next. We got a Jay from Colorado who says, I swear Alexa Bliss called Bailey a hooker. Um, <laughs> well, seems like Renee was confused the too. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Jake who says, Oh, he didn't watch Raw. Okay. Uh, let's finish off with Brian from New York who says, So I guess the Revival aren't being punished anymore. Or were they ever being punished? I guess we'll never know. The tag division improves leaps and bounds having the titles off Ryder and Hawkins, especially if the Viking Raiders and AOP are getting back on TV to join the Usos. Yeah, that's right. I f- we forgot about those tag teams. The Viking Raiders. The Viking Raiders have totally disappeared. Uh, AOP was back at the in the Battle Royal. Well, the Viking and, Raiders were there too. Yeah, the Viking Raiders were in the Battle Royal as well. That's right. Um, AOP, uh, the they have been on. They have been there at TV at SmackDown uh, for a while now, and it's just been a case of them waiting for an idea for for a, a program to come back. Um, the last I had heard was that they were going to end up on SmackDown. Uh, so we'll see if that plan changes or not. But yeah, they could be back maybe even as soon as Tuesday if um, last week was considered their return at the Battle Royal. He says it was a tough break for Cesaro, who at least was getting on TV every week. I'm not sure there's blame to be had with Ricochet, but perhaps a discussion should be had in the back about whether the 630 needs to be pulled out every week. Um, I feel like he's already been trying to like you know save that and not use it every single week. But yeah, sh- you know, this shit happens. 
He also says, for something I hated at first, it's another week I enjoyed the 24-7 title segment. It's been a fine vehicle for truth, and I guess something we can hope for is they stumble on some sort of hook for one of the guys chasing the belt along the way. Maybe EC3. Okay, maybe not. It made me think after that elevator segment that they're going to do some of these segments at Drake Maverick's wedding. Oh, they have to. Absolutely. Tease that for... I mean, they kind of almost have to deliver now on this. Imagine if, like, he actually wins, and then you have, like, his best man, EC3, pin him (laughs) at the the altar. Wow. That's really, like, they should. They absolutely should. I mean, maybe that's why they... Like, do a mock version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why they mentioned it in the first place. I would hope so. But, like, you know... uh, that that would be part of the fun of like just seeing wrestling matches in the least likely of scenarios. And yeah, I would love to see that. All right. Well, thanks everybody for your feedback. We appreciate all of it. And we are going to be back on Tuesday night and we are going to be chatting whatever goes down on SmackDown. It is going to be the big return of Big E. Huge. Yeah. That's it. I can't. That's it. That's that's what's going down on, on Tuesday. Anything else you want to mention? Um, for SmackDown, no, not really. Uh, just in general, anything. Uh, a farewell. Raptors in seven. All right, that's wow. You made me wait for that one. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>